Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. There's only one person who inhabits eternity, and that's God. Sometimes we kind of talk like we will inhabit eternity one day. Well, that's not exactly true because eternity, you have to go both directions. So if we were going to inhabit eternity, that would mean we would have to go back the other direction. We would basically have to have been there forever. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian resumes his teaching on the book of Micah. Now, here's Pastor Brian. So, they're going to take those implements of war, and they're going to melt them down or whatever the process is going to be, and they're going to sell all of that and put the money toward agriculture. That's the point. So they're going to beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks, harvesting instruments. And so there there will no longer be uh, military budgets for nations because they won't be needed. And all of the income, all of the resources will be put toward things that will bless and feed. There will no longer be any sort of a famine, which there are famines in various places in the world today. All of that will be a thing of the past. And nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they study war anymore. Neither shall they study war anymore. When we get close to war, even if it's thousands and thousands of miles away, we're suddenly awakened to the horror of it. But you know, a lot of people don't even pay any attention to what's going on. And they're going about life like there is no war. But the closer you get to war, or if you experience it especially, you know that it is the bane of human existence. It is the curse that it's been upon the world. And that has really been the history of the world. We, in in America especially, we have had this extraordinary experience of living in relative peace. Even though we've had wars, of course, most of our wars have been fought um, some other place than on our own soil, with the exception of the Civil War uh, or the Revolutionary War. But um, but when you when you read about war, I was listening to um, a thing the other day on uh, Genghis Khan and talking about when he you know, conquered all of these peoples and just the 
the murderous rampages that his armies would go on. And, you know, and, and this, this kind of stuff, it just happens over and over again. You read missionary biographies, and one of the things you find so often is that they're in war zones trying to carry on the mission. And in some cases, they're being captured by enemy forces. They're put, being put in concentration camps. In some cases, they're being executed. Uh, in some cases, they're being made to march for hundreds of miles and, you know, practically dying in the process. And, and all of this stuff is, is related to, to war. But the good news is that there's coming a time when nations will learn war no more. They will not study war. And that when, when we think of Jesus and his title as the Prince of Peace, that's the connection. The nations will never learn war again because they're under the reign of the Prince of Peace and of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. Isn't that amazing? There will be no end. Never a ruffle. Never a a scuffle. Never somebody over here causing trouble that looks like it could turn into something really bad. That'll never happen again. So that's what those who believe in Jesus have to trust in, hope for. And then it says in verse four, but everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree and no one shall make them afraid for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken for all people walk each in the name of his God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. So no one making them afraid. Thank you, Lord, that that's going to come. Now, the fifth chapter is interesting. The the remainder of the fourth chapter is speaking about the, the triumph of Zion. But then again, it shifts over to conflict And so chapter five says, now gather yourself in troops, O daughter of troops. He has laid siege against us and they will strike the judge of Israel with a rod on the cheek. So this is probably a reference to the the king of Israel when they're overtaken by the Assyrians. But it goes from that going into captivity to this great prophecy that we've all heard and we've read about it because it's in Matthew chapter two. And what does it say? But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel whose goings forth are from old from everlasting. So this is the, this is the great prophecy. Remember when the, um, remember when those men followed, those wise men followed the star from the east 
and they came to Jerusalem and they asked this question, where is the one who is born the king of the Jews? For we've seen his star. And Herod gathered the, the priests together and he asked them the question, where is the Messiah to be born? And they said, Bethlehem, for it is written. And they quoted this passage. So they then were still holding to the idea that a king was going to come out of Bethlehem. Now, remember, Bethlehem was the city of David. It's where David was from. But the name of the city means house of bread. House of bread. Think about what Jesus said about himself. I am the bread of life. Out of the house of bread comes the bread of life. But you, Bethlehem, though you are little among the thousands of Judah. So all of this would just seem so opposite of what you would expect. So the, the great king, the king of Israel is, go, is going to come, but he's going to come out of this, basically out of this town that at the time is just, it's not much different than a, a village. Although you are small among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be the ruler in Israel. And here's the kicker. Whose going forth is from old, or goings forth are from old, from everlasting, or from eternity. Everlasting, eternity, same thing. The, the word is, you could even translate it from the vanishing point. So this is an Old Testament prophecy that the king that is born in Bethlehem will come out of eternity. Now, there's only one person who inhabits eternity, and that's God. Sometimes we, we kind of talk like we will inhabit eternity one day. Well, that's not exactly true because eternity, you have to go both directions. So if we were going to inhabit eternity, that would mean we would have to go back the other direction. We would basically have to have been there forever. So the one who inhabits eternity is the one who is eternal. That's the point. So the one coming forth from eternity is the eternal one. And and this is, again, just one of those reminders of who Jesus actually is. That he's a prophet, but he's more than a prophet. That he is a king, but he's more than a king. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And now the passage goes on though, and this part is quite frequently not really talked too much about, but it's, it's absolutely amazing because it pretty much lays out the history from the time of the coming of Jesus 
for Israel. Therefore, he shall give them up. So the one who comes forth out of eternity, he shall give them up. What does that even mean? Well, we know because of hindsight what it means. We know that because the people to whom the Messiah came rejected him, that God gave them up. He shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. So he will give them up until that time when Israel is like a woman in labor and crying out for deliverance. Jesus put it this way, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel and and listen, and he shall stand and feed his flock. He shall stand and feed his flock. So the good shepherd. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11 says, uh, concerning the Lord, that he shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arms and he shall carry them in his bosom, near to his heart, and gently lead those who are with young. Micah is giving us a similar picture that he will stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and this one shall be peace. So I want you to see this. So this passage tells us about the birth of Christ who is the Messiah, who is the Lord. It tells us that after the birth of Christ, the people will be given up. Then it tells us that he shall come after that and shall stand and feed his flock. And then for now, he shall be great to the ends of the earth. So, We know this now with the ability to look back on it. We know that this is exactly what happened. Jesus came. He was born in Bethlehem. He offered himself to the people. They rejected him. Because they rejected him, God rejected them and sent them into the nations. He dispersed them into the nations. And since that time, until the present time, the average Jewish person thinks nothing of Jesus, certainly does not think of him as great in any way, shape, or form. Most Jewish people don't even think about Jesus. He's not part of their thinking process. Now, there are more and more Jewish people that are actually beginning to 
hear about and consider the possibility that Jesus is someone significant, maybe even the Messiah, some might think. But, but for the long history, that, that hasn't been the case. And for the majority, it's, it's not the case today. So when it says here, for now he shall be great, it's implying that there's a time where he's not great, but that there will be a future time when he is, now he shall be great. That day when their eyes are open, that day when they realize, as Zechariah uh, describes it, that day when um, they look upon me whom they have pierced, the Lord says, and they mourn or lament for him as one does for an only son. And in that day, there shall be a fountain open in Jerusalem for sin and iniquity. So it's on that day. And then he will be great. Micah is telling us exactly that. He shall be great to the ends of the earth, not only among the Jews, but he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And, And of course, once again, the irony is that Jesus is the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the one who the world was made through him, but the world did not know him and the world still does not know him. But he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Everyone will know the name of Jesus in the future. And it goes on and it speaks of when the Assyrian, when the Assyrian comes into our land and when he treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and 80 princely men, and they shall waste with the sword the land of Assyria, the land of Nimrod at its entrances, and thus he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and when he treads within our borders. And so this is a, a bit of a perplexing passage because some people think that it's, it's indicating that after the Lord returns, there's somehow going to be an invasion back into the land and, and he will stand up against that invasion and deliver Israel. Um, it could be that it's speaking of that, but it's not in that sequential order of time. So it's looking back on like he was the one that delivered us from the Assyrian when the Assyrian rushed into our land. And the Assyrian could be another name for, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, the kings of the north that come down in Ezekiel's prophecy. The Assyrian could be a synonym for those northern kings because sometimes Assyrian Assyrian kings were spoken of as those who come from the north. So... Verse seven, then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many people like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass that tarry for no man nor wait for the sons of men. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the Gentiles in the midst of many peoples like a lion among the beast of the forest, like a young lion among flocks of sheep who if he passes through both treads down and tears in pieces. And so the rest of the chapter goes back to to dealing with some of the issues uh, of sin that God would deal with among the people. 
cutting off the sorcerers and the soothsayers and dealing with the carved images and the sacred pillars and and so on down. Now, chapter 6, once again, we're back to God pleading with Israel over their hardness of heart. And then in verse 9, through the rest of the chapter, it's dealing again with the punishment that will come upon Israel for their injustice. But chapter 7 is where we want to go now. And this is the last chapter. And again, the last chapter begins with, Woe is me, Israel is speaking. The faithful man has perished from the earth and there is no one upright among men. So lamenting the state of their society. Verse seven, therefore, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. And now Israel's speaking. Do not, verse eight, rejoice over me, my enemy. When I fall, I will arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my case and executes justice for me. He will bring me forth to the light and I will see his righteousness. Then she who is my enemy will see and shall, and shame shall cover her who said to me, where is the Lord your God? So this is Israel, again in the future, acknowledging their sin, taking responsibility for it. And I want to jump over to the final verses here. Verse 18. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgressions of the remnant of his heritage. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity. That question is asked many times over in the Bible. And that truth is acknowledged many times over and marveled at many times over. And it is really a marvel, isn't it, that God forgives iniquity that there is actually nothing you can do that God will not forgive you for. Think about that. There there are so many things that you could do that uh, people will never forgive you for. And some, for obvious reasons, it would be hard to imagine forgiving somebody for some atrocity they've committed or something like that. Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource. Hi, Pastor Brian here, and I've got a book that I want to offer to our listeners this month, and it's a book by Jared C. Wilson, and the book is entitled The Imperfect Disciple. 
And what a great book because all of us are that person. We are all really that imperfect disciple. But the subtitle is Grace for People Who Can't Get Their Act Together. And I think so often we sort of feel that way. But what we need to know is that God is for us, He's with us, and He's going to help us. And He has promised us grace so that we ultimately can get our act together. So I think this is going to be really encouraging. So we'd love to get a copy out to you. Just request it here from Back to Basics, The Imperfect Disciple by Jared C. Wilson. Again, this month's resource is a book titled The Imperfect Disciple, Grace for People Who Can't Get Their Act Together by Jared C. Wilson. You can order the book The Imperfect Disciple by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give the gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, The Imperfect Disciple by Jared C. Wilson, to help you experience God's grace that has the power to transform anyone. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Micah. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.